chapter 1, verse number 1, if you're curious as to where that is, uh, go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, and it's six books to your right. And so we'll be looking in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 1. Now, as you're turning there, uh, I'd like to share with you, I, I am a, I've always been a, a dog fan. Like dogs, we presently have two dogs. Uh, we have two schnauzers named Jack and Rose. And yes, they were named for the main characters in the movie Titanic. Now, I want to give a little disclaimer here. Two of them, actually. One is that I hate the movie Titanic. Now, you might like it. Um, but I absolutely despise the movie. As a matter of fact, when we saw it, I could not wait for it to go down. And I was hoping that both Jack and, uh, Jack and Rose would not survive. So half my dream came true. Uh, but the other disclaimer is that we did not name the dogs that. We, we rescued them. And there was a couple in our church who talked us into it. And I don't know why we did it. But, uh, but anyway, there was a movie that, uh, and that story has nothing to do with anything, but there was a movie that came out in 1996 called 101 Dalmatians. I'm sure you all remember it. If you have kids, you had kids back then, you had to go see it. And so it's all a bunch of these little cute little dogs that were in the movie. And what happened after that movie is people went out and bought Dalmatians left and right. I mean, it was just absolutely crazy. Now, but, and while that was an exciting time for dogs, uh, there are problems that come with Dalmatians. Uh, Dalmatians, for one, tremendously hyper dogs, and they eat and chew everything. Uh, they also have physical problems. They, uh, they can't hear. I think like 15 to 20% of them go deaf. They shed year-round. And so with all these problems, what happened is all the people who bought these Dalmatians, they got sick of them. And so they, they began to turn them back in droves to animal shelters. Uh, there was one animal shelter in Florida that said we received more Dalmatians in nine months than we had the previous two and a half years. Now, just being the kind of dog person that I am, I like dogs, but I understand the owners of these dogs. I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're a bigger hassle than they're worth. You can't stand them. They drive you crazy. So you turn them back in. And I, and I thought about that, and I thought, man, but in the, on the other side of that, I am so glad that God is not like that with us. You know, I mean, we are, uh, you know, we're cute when we're born. I mean, most, I guess, most of us are. Actually, maybe not. Um, our, my kids were cute. When they were born, they looked nice and everything. But then what happens? They grow up. And they, they have all these problems. And there's all these issues. And after a while, you think, well, man, I, maybe I just ought to turn this kid back in. Well, fortunately, God doesn't do that with us. And as a matter of fact, what we're going to see is that God is faithful to his people. And so over the next, I guess, uh, six or seven weeks, we're going to be talking about one of the major characteristics of God, and that is the faithfulness of God. Uh, That's why if you look at your bulletin, you'll see on the front of it, the new series is entitled Semper Fi. Now, uh, that's obviously we stole that title from the Marine Corps, and I know there's many Army people in the church, my apologies, uh, but y'all's motto was didn't fit in. So uh, anyway, so always, always faithful. And the hope is that we are going to see that God, regardless of your failures, regardless of your imperfections, that what you are going to find with God is that he promises that he will always be faithful. And what we're looking at today is that we are going to see part of the faithfulness of God is that he promises to be faithfully present with his people. 
And so hopefully that will be an encouragement for you. But today in our scripture, we're going to see a picture of God's consistent faithfulness in the story of the Hebrew people under whenever they moved from the leadership of a man named Moses to the leadership of Joshua. And even though things were changing, God in our text today was telling the people, I know things are different, but I'm true. As much as things change, when it comes to me, I will always be faithful to you. And I will always be present with you. Now, I really think many of us, and that sounds good, but I think many of us really struggle with the idea of consistency. You know, people being faithful with us, people being consistent with us. And the reason why is because we've seen people fail us time and time again. Um, I know with, uh, with Emily and me, we were, I mean, just not that long ago, I was talking, and there were some younger people in the church, and they were talking about their friends getting married. I was like, you know, when you're like in your 20s, it seems like everybody, you know, you're constantly going to weddings. Everybody's getting married. And then as life kind of goes by after a while, and I've, I've just discovered this, you, you move from your 20s, your 30s, and you get in your 40s, and people don't get married really anymore once you hit your 40s. They start getting divorced. And, and, and you look at that and you think, man, I, th- I thought it was going to last forever when they got married in their 20s. And so you, you don't see consistent or constant faithfulness in marriage. You don't see constant faithfulness in politics. You know, we're in an election season right now, and, and, and so many of us are jaded now. You hear politicians come out, and I know that there are good politicians and good guys and stuff, but just in general, you hear them make all these promises, and, and we've become so jaded in general as people. We hear these promises, and we sit there and watch TV and think, that guy's lying. I mean, we just don't believe anybody anymore. And so what happens is we've allowed that, frustration and that lack of consistency and faithfulness to kind of leak over into our relationship with God. And we see all these promises that God gives us and all these cool things. And because we're so jaded now, we just sort of look at it and say, ah, it looks good on paper, but I don't think I'm going to buy into it. And I just don't believe it. Well, it's my hope that as we go through these messages on the faithfulness of God, that one thing that we're going to see is that we are going to see that God is faithful. And today we're going to take a look at the faithfulness of God in His presence. And so we're going to look in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 6, and just the background information, the people were changing leadership for the first time in 40 years. They were moving from Moses being their leader. Does anybody know who the next leader was, just off the top of your head? Yeah, Joshua. Now, Joshua was following a legend now, this guy had been in charge for 40 years. Some of the things he'd done, he led him out of captivity. The Egyptian captivity after over 400 years. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like Steve Spurrier coming to South Carolina and us winning a national championship. I know it was a bad night last night, so we're not going to talk about that. But, you know, but it's your, you were, if that happens, he's a legend. He's already becoming a legend. Uh, Joshua gets to follow this guy, Moses. What had Moses done? Led him out of captivity. Uh, another thing that Moses did was when y'all remember when he went to the Red he went to the Red Sea the uh, the Israelites are behind him the Egyptians are coming after him y'all, what did he do at the Red Sea y'all remember he parted it okay he just lifts his arms up it comes apart and the Hebrew people run across it the Egyptians try to follow him and then it collapses on him and just wipes him out okay that is impressive right I mean you sit there and think okay I will I will follow that guy that guy is cool. And so you see all these things that are going on. And so it's, it's incredible to see 
what God had done through the life of Moses, but then he dies. And the people began to wonder, oh, did God forget about us? Is he going to still work with us and move with us? Because at this point in our text, the people are beginning to feel alone and abandoned because their spokesman for God, uh, from God had died. And, and there could be some of you here today, and, and you have that same feeling. And whatever it is that, you're, might, that you might be facing, you might feel like, well, has, has, has God abandoned me? You know, maybe my mentor, the person I looked up to, the person I was following and, and looking towards, maybe they failed or maybe they passed on. And you feel like your, your person who stood between you and God, they, they are gone now. And you begin to wonder, is, is God, is he still going to be there for me? Is he still going to care about me? And if you have those feelings, I want you to know that the feelings you have, it's very normal. But I want you to be encouraged today. Because I want you to see some of the things that were floating through the minds of the people as they were going through this transition of leadership. And they were wondering about God's presence. And so here's what I want you to notice today. The very first thing I want you to, to pick up on is the people, they were fearful that God had abandoned them. And, and you could identify with that possibly. They were fearful God had abandoned them. Now look with me in verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. Okay, the, the, the Hebrews have been in captivity 400 years. Moses is the big-time leader, performs miracles. Plagues come. Remember the plagues? Wipes out the Egyptian people. The Egyptians at this point are like, please get out of here. Red Sea splits wide open. Uh, Y'all remember what they ate when they were in the wilderness? Yeah, manna from heaven. I mean, this stuff is absolutely incredible. 400 years in slavery. They're looking for freedom. Miracles are happening. They get to the edge of the promised land, and Moses dies. I mean, is that bad timing? You know, the people following this guy, they're excited, here we are, and then he's dead. And they had to be saying, God, what are you doing? Don't tell me you're going to bring us all the way here, right to the brink, and now you're going to abandon us. And the fact is, the people had to know that they were really, they were not worthy of God even being faithful to them. And I want you to know something, and it's, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. But guys, you and me, we have no reason to think that God owes it to us to be faithful. He didn't owe it to the Hebrew people. You know, you know how the Hebrew people were? They, they get freedom, and they, they kind of have a little bit of hardships. And whenever we have hardships, and this is true for me, when we have a little bit of hardships, it is so easy to start griping. I mean, you, you think about it. these people have been. I mean, they're getting whipped and beaten as slaves. They get out into the into the wilderness, heading towards the promised land. And listen to what they said to uh, uh, to, to Moses. Exodus fourteen eleven and twelve. This always intrigues me. And they're talking to Moses. They're ticked off. It says, "Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you took us out to die in the wilderness?" I mean, you talk about these people are dramatic. Yeah, thanks, Moses. He says, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Man, it doesn't take long for griping to start. 
They get what they want. They're free, and then they just start. You know, Moses, thanks a lot. We're we're eating manna now. We used to eat meat. Now forget the fact that they're you're getting beat to death. Uh, Exodus fifteen twenty four. Later on, it says the people grumbled. Exodus sixteen three. Next chapter. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Next chapter. Exodus seventeen two. So the people complained. Man, what a, just a bunch of gripers. And you know what? We, we are the exact same. And that's me too. I'm not just pointing. I'm not just saying, you know, first service is really awful. Second service is a little bit better. But people gripe all the time. Now, can you imagine what they were thinking when Moses, I mean, they're already griping, and then Moses dies. Do you think they probably griped and felt a little frustrated? But there's a common thread that runs through all these examples, and that is the people were placing their hope and their confidence Temporary things. As in Moses, you know, people die. They're placing their hopes and their confidence in, in circumstances. Circumstances change. You know, when things are going good, we want to place all our eggs in that basket and say, I'm going to place it all right here because it's going good right now. But things always change. Your life is constantly changing. Yet you're born, you're young, and what happens? You get old. And then you die. Um, you, you know, you're very active, and you get older, and your body begins to slow down. The economy's good, and then the economy's bad. Now, where we get into trouble is we begin to place our hope in circumstances, but circumstances change. So whenever you're placing your hope and your dreams and what you're going to base your life off of, you want to make sure you're basing, off, basing it off of something that has a solid foundation. Because if it's not solid, it's going to fall over. And you're going to be disappointed and you're going to start griping. A, a few years ago in, in Haiti, y'all remember there was an earthquake. And we started going to Haiti that year. There's an earthquake, a 7.0 magnitude earthquake. Uh, anywhere from 200 to 300,000 people died in that earthquake. Absolutely caused the city of Port-au-Prince to crumble. Horrible. Interestingly enough, a few months later in Chile, there was an 8.0 magnitude earthquake. 250 people died in that earthquake. Bigger earthquake, less damage. Within five hours, they had the phone service back up in Chile. Now, what was the, what was the difference? It was the foundation. Uh, now, Haiti has building codes, and so does Chile. Haiti's building codes, though, is that you bribe the government officials and you don't have to follow the building codes. Matter of fact, I remember when we were over there, we were working, we had cinder blocks, and I can't remember which one of the guys uh, stood on the cinder block and it just collapsed underneath his feet. And one of the guys said, oh, that's one of the earthquake cinder blocks. I was like, great. Now, if you don't have a solid, now, Chile follows the code. Now, if you don't have a good code and, it's, and you don't follow it, what happens? Everything collapses. What happened to the Hebrew people here? Their confidence was collapsing because their hope was in circumstances and not on something that was steady and true. So I look at our text, and one thing I notice is the people were fearful God had abandoned them. Why? Because their hope wasn't in God. It was in, it was in the circumstances. But there's something else I want you to notice, and that is, and this is one of the neat things about God, even though their hope was in the wrong place, look what God does. God reassured them he was still with them. God didn't say, you bunch of morons, and walk off. 
God, God reassured them. Look in verse 3. God said, I've given you every place where the sole of your foot treads. Just as I promised Moses, your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. And no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That is an awesome promise from God. The people are grumbling and complaining and saying, God, where are you? How does God respond? He reassures them. I will be with you. Don't forget who I am. Now, a lot of us, a lot of believers, religious people, our, our, our main thought is, man, I hope that God is real. You know, I hope that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. I hope that when I die that I'm actually going to spend my eternity with him. I want you to know God does not desire for you to live your life in doubt about him. He desires you to live with confidence now, the people were living in doubt right here. Their doubt, the two basic doubts the people had right here. Are we going to make it into the land God promised to give us? And two, is God going to be there? Is he going to keep his promise? Is he going to be with us? And God answers both of the questions. He reassures uh, Joshua. He tells him, the land I promised to give you? He said, I'm going to give it to you. You're going to get it. And then he reassures him again and says, and I promise that I'm not going to leave you. Now, the people, they doubted God anyway. And it's real easy for me on this side of history to sit there and go, those people are crazy. How could they doubt God? I mean, look at what the Hebrew people God when they were with God. God revealed himself to the people. He, he showed them his presence. If you read the book of Exodus, he showed his presence to them miraculously by a, uh, by a cloud, a pillar of cloud in the morning, and by a pillar of fire at night. That's how the people knew where to go. They would follow the cloud and the fire. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's God revealed himself. They physically saw this stuff. They ate food out of heaven. Uh, that, is not, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, they, they, they saw God send plagues on the superpower of the day and wipe it out. And I sit there and I look at all that and think, how could the people doubt God? And then Moses dies. And they begin to get nervous. And all bets are off there. He was their leader. And then God comes along and says, I have given you this land. Guys, let me tell you something. When God makes a promise, regardless of circumstances, you know what God does with that promise? He keeps it. God keeps his word. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Joshua 23, 14. Joshua's coming to the end of his life, and he tells, he tells the Hebrew people, he says, You know with all your heart and all your soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed. Not one. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What does that mean? It means the God who keeps his promises, who kept his promises with Joshua... And Moses is the same God who keeps his promises to his people today. Now, God gave him a promise. I ask you all quite, what, what, what promise did God give the Hebrew people? The promised land, right? 
Now, that's a great promise, but here's something to think about. They didn't just get to sit back and say, oh, that's really neat. I can't wait for that to happen. You know what they had to do to go to the promise, or to get the promised land to be their land? They had to go fight. They had to go to battle. Now, guys, let me tell you something. That was a scary proposition. But the part that is positive is that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. The victory was already assured. God said, you just have to claim it. But it was scary. Their leader died. Moses died. So who's going to lead them? The people that were living in the land of Canaan. They were scary people. If you remember, when Moses was still living, he had them had spies go out and scout out the land to say to bring back a report about what the land is like. You might remember that ten of the spies came back, ten of the twelve. Ten of them came back and said, the land is great, but the people are humongous. And they said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. They said, we can't go in there. And the people said, we ain't going. We're not going to trust the promises of God. We'll stay right here. And God made them stay in the wilderness. He did not allow them to enter into the promised land because they doubted him. Because they weren't willing to trust him. So here we are 40 years later, and once again they stand on the edge. And God gives them confidence again. He tells Joshua this in verse number 5. He says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I'll be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you nor forsake you. The point God is making here is he's saying, the greatness that you've experienced, the miracles you've seen, were not due to the greatness of Moses. They were due to the greatness of me. And folks, what we're going to see occur in our lives and what we're going to see occur in the life of this church, the lives being changed, the hearts being restored here, it's not going to occur because we're great. It's going to, be, it's going to occur because our God is great. And God has given a promise. And when He gives a promise, He will keep His word. It would, it would be scary and frightening to me to think that, that the state of our culture is dependent upon me and you. Now, I think y'all are great people, but guys, let me tell you something. We are screwed up, and we are marred with sin. But our God is not. And if we walk with Him and trust Him, He will work through us and keep His word. The change occurs whenever we place our hope and our trust in Him. Why? Because our God stands over all things, and His work will be accomplished. Our job is simply to allow God to be the driver of, of all that we do. When the Hebrew people trusted God, you know what happened? They took the land. Village Church, when we trust that God is with us, we're going to take this community by storm through sharing the message of Jesus. Letting people see Jesus through our lives. The question is, will we trust Him? Will we buy into His promises and act on them? There was an Indian chief named Crowfoot of the Blackfoot tribe, and he owned land in uh, Alberta, Canada, and the Canadian Railroad said, we want to build a railroad through your land, and he said, okay, what do I get for it? And they said, a lifetime pass to ride the train anytime you want to. They gave him a lifetime pass. Yo, this is a long time ago, uh, 1900s, or 1800s. They gave him a pass. He wore it around his neck in a leather pouch, and he proudly displayed it to everybody. So they built the railroad across, all across Canada through his land. He shows everybody, have a lifetime pass. Very cool. 
So he walks around showing everybody this. But here's what's interesting. His entire life, while he had the lifetime pass, he never rode the train. He had the ability to go anywhere across his territory quicker than ever before. The only thing he liked to do was show everybody the pass in the leather pouch. Look, I can ride the train anytime I want to. Have you ridden it? No. That's kind of a strange story, but that's what we do with God. God has given us promises to never leave us nor forsake us, promises that He can restore lives, promises of eternal life, promises of forgiveness, promises of joy and peace. And we like to write down the Bible verses and hang them on our walls and have little calendars. And I'm all for those things. I like them. But if we don't act on them, they're just nice little trinkets. What are we going to do with the promises of God? I I see that the people, they were fearful God had abandoned them. But God reassured the people. And here's the last thing I want you to see. Or I want you to notice. And that is that God will empower His people with His presence. God will empower us. Now look at our last verse, verse 6. It says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. It's a promise from God. Now, knowledge is a great thing. It's, it's really nice to know how to do things, how to put things together. But if you don't ever use that knowledge and actually apply it, we all know that it doesn't matter. That knowledge doesn't count for anything. It doesn't help us. Now, for 40 years, God had been preparing his people to go into the promised land. For 40 years. He's letting them know, I'm faithful, true. We're told that their, the, the, their, uh, uh, their shoes never wore out in 40 years. God's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to provide for you. They ate food again from heaven. They saw the Red Sea split in half. God's giving them all these signs to say, you can trust me. I am a big God. And then after 40 years, they're on the brink. And God's saying, okay, you know all this stuff about me? It's time for you to act on it. You know, you don't just get to sit back and read all the stories and say, that's neat. It is time to say, you know what, God's true. And he's big. And I'm going to act on what he's called me to do. And so God says, go over the Jordan River and fight for the land. That's why he encouraged the people, again, in our verse we just read. He said, be strong and courageous. Why did he have to tell them that? Because the people, I mean, they were slaves for 400 years. And now he's telling them to go fight. I mean, it's not like they had this huge, great military organization. They're fighting against nations. But God said, you've seen me move. He says, you know I can give you victory. You follow me and trust me, I'll keep my promises. Guys, God will never call us to do something that he will not empower us to do. So one of my favorite verses is Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? I've seen that play out in the life of this church. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, still over ten years ago, we sensed a leading from God to start a work here. To make a difference in a community. Because we felt like God was calling us here. And I thought, man, how in the world is that going to be possible? We're starting with nothing. But God gave us a promise, and we acted on it. Guys, let me tell you something. We have seen God do amazing things. 
There have been many of you who joined in and said, we're going to trust God. And it's because of your trusting nature of God that we've seen God do things we never thought He would do. I look today and I say, okay, if that's true, then what does that mean for us in the future? Am I going to trust? Are we still going to trust God? You know, the church is here now. We're here gathered now. But what's it going to mean for us from this point on? You know, I, I look in our community. You know, our community's growing so fast. You know, we have 37 high schools in Blythewood. I haven't figured that out yet. There are so many schools here. And they're spreading out all over. And God's given us, we, we prayed, and we said, God, may you give us good favor in our schools. May you give us good favor with the leaders in this community. And there's no reason for those people to give us good favor. They, probably, they thought we were a cult, I'm sure. But you know what they did? They gave us good favor. Allowed us to, to give a message of, of Christ, to, to love people, care for people. And I see all these new schools popping up, and, and, I, and I believe that there has to come a time when we look at that and say, you know what? It's time for us as a church to gather together, begin to start new churches in other areas so that we can reach more people. Is that scary? Yes, but God has given us a promise that His Word will not return void. And we need to go out and share His message, believing that Christ changes lives. I, I look at our church and I see people and I see, see marriages that come here who are struggling. And I believe if we trust in the power of God and, and, we, and we teach and we love people, we're going to see marriages restored. We're going to see homes that are blessed. I see us coming to a place where it becomes the norm for us to respond and to live and to act, not according to what I feel. Saying, this is right because this is what I feel, but for us to respond and to live on what God says. Not what I feel, but what does God say? And why would I want to do that? Because I trust God. Now the question is, can those things really happen? Can a group of regular people like us, really make a difference. You better believe it. Especially if we heed to the Word of God that says, be strong and courageous. Because as we live with the presence of God, there is nothing that can override the promises of God. Because everything sits at the foot of Jesus. The question is, God's going to accomplish His purpose. The question is, are we going to join Him? He's going to accomplish it. I just want to be on the team when it happens.